Matthew chapter 28 reads like this. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Today we celebrate Easter. Today we celebrate the risen savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins. I want to give you this morning a message about what Easter really is, what it's all about. It's, it has struck me, I, I think, a little uh, harder. Not Harder is probably not, not the best word, but it's been a little more obvious to me this year uh, how those outside of, of the faith that I claim and the, the faith that this church claims view Easter. Uh, there's, a very, uh, there's a very secular view of Easter now within our society. And when people talk about celebrating Easter, um, they really don't know what they're celebrating. You know what I'm saying? They really don't understand it. I've had a lot of conversations. In fact, I shared with the church a couple weeks ago uh, a conversation I had had uh, with, some, with several individuals actually in the community. And they said, well, why can't you just leave religion out of it? I, well, be, I, because it's Easter, man. I, you know what I'm saying? It's Easter. I, I would love to explain to you. And I, then I took the time to share with them why it is such a big deal, why uh, it is important, why it's not a federal holiday. It's a religious, it's the highest holy day that we have in the Christian faith. And it got me to thinking, and as I began praying and preparing for this message, um, I'd have a little bit of feedback if I could get that down a little bit. Um, I just wanted to hit some of the things that we do because people mistake the way we celebrate Easter as, uh, as what Easter truly is about. And I have nothing against Easter celebrations. I'm all for them. We do a lot of things here. Uh, in our family, we do a lot of different things for Easter. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating Easter. There's nothing wrong with uh, some of the traditions that we have. But people mistake many times those traditions for what it's truly about. And that's not what it is about. So I just wanted to be, before we get into the, the meat of what Easter truly is, I just wanted to cover a few things about how we celebrate Easter and why and, and where they came from. Because even in the Christian world, as we look at the celebration of Easter and what some people do and some churches do, there's a lot of controversy. We, it wouldn't be a church if there wasn't controversy, right? It wouldn't be, we wouldn't be a Christian, Christian body if, if there wasn't controversy, some people uh, don't want to use the word Easter when they're talking about Easter because Easter, they say, comes from a pagan goddess from back in the uh, B.C. and, and the early uh, A.D., 1st, 2nd, 3rd centuries, whose, whose name happened to be Easter. And they get that from a man who wrote a book uh, claiming to have done some research. But somebody researched his research and come to find out that all of that just isn't true. There, is, there was a, a goddess named Easter, but... She was very, uh, very low on the totem pole, and it's not at all where the name Easter comes from. It's a possibility, but a very low one. 
So where do we get the name Easter? Because that is, there are some people who won't say it. I have no problem with someone saying to me, happy resurrection day. People say it. How many of you say that? Happy resurrection. I think it's awesome because that's exactly what it is. But did you know there's nothing wrong with saying happy Easter either? Nothing at all. Here's why. Many think, as I said, it comes from the pagan goddess, but actually it doesn't. In the Hebrew, the word Passover is pisach. In the Greek, it is simply transliterated and takes the form pasha. Okay? Now, virtually all languages refer to Easter as either a transliterated form of pasha or use resurrection in the name. English, I didn't know this, English is, comes from the German language. The German language is called uh, the mother tongue with a lot of linguists for the English language. So we go back into the history of the English language and uh, of the German language, and they use, the, the, the German language uses the word Ostern, where we get our word Easter. That is literally the translation of the word resurrection into German. So you see, Easter really does mean Resurrection Day. It's just the way it was translated. It was translated differently. Easter eggs. I remember growing up, people had heart attacks if you had Easter eggs, right, in the church. Easter eggs are simply a symbol of new life and new beginning. And they always have been. And the early church celebrated Easter by having Easter eggs. Colored eggs. How many of you color eggs? I'm going to do it anymore because I have seven-year-old twin boys and I'd have colored carpet and colored table and colored walls. So they get a little bit older, maybe we'll color eggs. But did you know that the first eggs were colored back in the 1500s by Catholic priests? And the reason they colored them, they colored them red. And they colored them red to symbolize the blood of Jesus Christ. And they gave them to their parishioners to help them to remember that Jesus shed his blood for them. So that's where colored eggs come from. Easter egg hunts and egg rolls. What does an Easter egg hunt have to do with anything? Well, egg rolls, tomorrow in, in Washington, D.C., on, the, uh, on the, the lawn of the White House, they'll have an egg roll, right? You know the egg rolls? Uh, not egg rolls, the Chinese food. <laughs> He's, uh, I could deal with a couple of those, right? But Easter egg rolls, they came from the early church and the, the, the Middle Ages church, 1500s. And they were done to signify the rolling away of the stone from the tomb. That's why they rolled eggs. Martin Luther was the first uh, church man to actually have an Easter egg hunt. He had it for his children, and it came from there. A lot of our Easter traditions come from Germany and the German church. The Easter bunny, got nothing for you. (laughs) Seriously. There is a really really weird... um, tale of where the Easter bunny came from and said that when one of the when Martin Luther was having the Easter egg honey had hidden the eggs for his kids and when the kids came out as soon as they started looking they saw a rabbit hopping away and they thought that the rabbit had placed the eggs there Um, I'm not sure how much validity I'd place in that but anyway my point is this These are all ways that we celebrate Easter. All things that we do to celebrate and commemorate Easter. There's nothing wrong with it. No, there's there's no law that says you have to have a cake on your birthday, but it sure does make your birthday a lot lot better, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. German chocolate. The mother tongue. (laughs) 
But there's nothing wrong with these. And, and I think sometimes we get ourselves into this whole idea of trying to guilt each other into being more godly. When what we really should be doing is encouraging each other to celebrate our faith in a more true and honest way. These are ways we celebrate Easter, things we do to celebrate Easter. But what is Easter all about? As I said, I've had a lot of conversations with people and they just don't get it. It's time to, I, I, I usually take a prayer drive on Saturday night. And last night I, I drove and I went up into to Westfield. I did a, a loop through Southwick and Westfield and came back through West Springfield. And I stopped at Walmart in Westfield. It was amazing to me about 9.45 at night the amazing crowd at the Walmart in Westfield. And there, there just, there were no chocolate Easter bunnies. There was no chocolate, there was nothing left. I mean, they, they, they were, had just scoured the store almost clean. But so many of them, they simply did it because, well, it's Easter, so I'm supposed to do this. But what does Easter truly mean? What is it about as, as believers in Jesus Christ? Why is this the most important day of the year in our faith. Why does it matter so much? I've had people ask me that this year. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Listen, when we get to a place in our society, when you have people in your life that come to you and say, what's the big deal? We need to be able to have an answer for them. We need to be able to let them know and help them to understand that Easter is a really big deal. Enough of the infighting in the church. You know what I'm saying? Enough of the silliness. You want to call it Resurrection Day, call it Resurrection Day. You want to call it Easter, call it Easter. It's both the same. How about this? How about we just celebrate it and be united in presenting it to those outside of faith, what it's all about. So what is Easter all about? First thing that Easter is all about, it's simply this. It commemorates and celebrates the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what Easter is all about. It's the day that we as Christians celebrate we remember the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And of course, you'll, people will get into, well, you know, how do you know it's the real day? We don't. Okay, stop. Stop. It's okay. Celebrating Easter, you don't have to have the exact time and day. We're commemorating the fact that he rose from the grave. See, we get so concerned about how we celebrate that we don't spend enough time celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the grave for our sins. We'll, we'll explain that in a minute, what that's all about. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave tells us something very true, that Jesus died, right? Why did he have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? When it comes to Easter, we, we celebrate him rising from the dead. But why did he have to die in the first place? Well, the Bible is clear about that. He died because of sin. Something had to be done. Because humanity had to have a way to escape the penalty of sin. Well, why was it important that Jesus be raised from the dead? Well, the resurrection is incredibly important for our salvation. And we're going to explain this a little bit deeper here in just a minute. It demonstrated that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us. It proves that God has the power to raise us from the dead and to give us eternal life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 17, we read this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, 
then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. In other words, if Jesus Christ, if, if there is no Easter, if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, if he didn't come out of the grave victorious over death, then what I'm saying to you this morning has no validity. I am just wasting my breath. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what we stand for here as a church doesn't matter. Your faith doesn't matter. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. You understand that? If there is no Easter, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then our faith is worthless is what Paul is telling us. Our faith doesn't matter. There's nothing to it. All of those are great bits of information to know, but what does it mean for you and me? What's the practical value of Jesus' death? I'm, I'm a practical person. I, I, uh, I, like to have, I like things broken down for me. Right? I like to know not just how something works, but why it works. And if it's going to work, what value is it going to have in my life? Listen, I'm all about, I'm, I'm all for technology. Many of you have jobs that are all about technology, right? You have jobs because of technology. Jobs that you hold nowadays didn't exist 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Many <laughs> farther back for some of us, all right? So I'm all for technology, but I'm not for technology just for technology's sake. And I don't get involved in all the technology just to have it. I want it to be something that matters for me, something that I can use, something that is practical that will make my life more beneficial. That same principle, that same idea carries over to me in my faith. I want my faith to be stripped down to the practicality of it. I want to know what it means, why it matters, why it is important. What good does it do me? What is the value of this for me? This morning, I want to share with you what the practical value is of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What does it mean for you? What's in it for you? What's in it for you? Why does Jesus' resurrection matter for you? Well, not to put too fine a point on it, but... You are the reason that he had to die. I know people get offended by that kind of talk. People get upset about that kind of talk. But that's the fact of the matter. According to the Bible, you are the reason that he had to die. I am the reason he had to die. All human beings are the reason that Jesus had to die. Why? Because the Bible clearly tells us that we are all sinners. That is what offends so many people. Let me tell you, nobody's saying you're a horrible individual. Nobody's saying you're like Bonnie and Clyde or anything. Nobody's saying you're terrible. In fact, in God's economy, the way God views things, sin is sin. We as human beings look at sin and say, oh, that's terrible. Look at the terrible things they did. Look at the terrible things he did. Terrible things she did, right? In God's view, sin is sin. Now that doesn't seem fair to us, but that's the way God sees it. And because we're all sinners, something had to be done about it. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. For all. That word all means just what it says. All. It's all inclusive. Everyone. All. He's talking about humanity. All humanity has sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of God's 
glorious standard. So that's the reason. We're sinners. Jesus had to die. Our sin has consequences. Your sin has consequences. How many of you have kids that are under the age of 10? Or raise children under the age of 10? Right? All of us, right? <sighs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the hardest things to teach a kid is that there's consequences for your actions. Right? Especially today, in today's society. You get outside of your home. Uh, your home is, is, is run by you, right? We're bene- uh, as parents, we're benevolent dictators of our home, right? It's, it's not a democracy in my house, okay? We're benevol- benevolent dictators. But when I send my kids somewhere else, other people have other ways of looking at things. And not everybody believes that consequences are part of your actions. In fact, some people in society today want to blame other things and other people for their own actions. That's not true as a Christian. That's not true as a human being. And as God looks at your sin, that's not true for us. In fact, the Bible says your sin has consequences. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. There's the consequence. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned, that they began to die. Their spirits died. We are all born in sin. It's the consequence of our sin. Now, the payment for sin is death. But if you died for your own sin, now, now follow me because this gets a little, little, can get a little twisted around. If you died for your own sins, you would not be able to enjoy the benefit that that death brings. Does that make sense? If you paid the price, which is death, for your own sin, you would not be able to enjoy the benefit that the payment of your sin brings. Therefore, God said one person needs to die. Jesus' death was the only acceptable payment for your sins. I know today people say, well, you know, I don't necessarily think that even in church, even in churches, I talk to a, a, lot of, a lot of Christians lately, and they're all about works. And maybe you were raised in a church in a, in a, in a way of uh, religious thinking that says through your life, all the good you're going to do at the end of your life is going to be weighed with all the bad. And is the, if the good outweighs the bad, then that's your ticket to heaven. If the bad outweighs the good, well, maybe you'll, you know, you'll spend some time in a, in a medium area until that is all worked out and then you can go to heaven. So it's all based on your works, right? That's what a lot of religions tell us. A lot of churches say. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your works have nothing to do with the payment for your sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works. So that no one can boast. Now, let's just be real honest. Is it going to, is Jonathan in here? No. All right. He's going to screw everything up if I go down on the floor. Cool. Because I'm, yeah, I don't like it up here. I tried. Okay. I tried. All right. Now. All right. Sorry, Jonathan. All right. 
problem with the plan of salvation for adults is this. It's too easy. It's too simple, right? It can't be that easy. No way. No way. Listen, I work hard for my money and I earn my paycheck. And that's the same thing in my life. I work hard for my blood. I work hard. It's all, man, no. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's not about your works. My two little, my two little boys. Listen, man. <laughs> they are sure. They know they have Jesus in their heart. They're positive about it. I would have been wrong. Aaron would have been wrong as parents to say no for them to get baptized because they are so sure they have Jesus in their heart. That's the faith of a child that says, this is the way it is, man. You're a sinner. My boys know that. (laughs) Many examples of that in their life, right? They understand that part. And then when you explain to them, Jesus died on the cross and he paid the price. And that's the payment for your sin. And they're all about that. They accept that and receive that. And they took it to themselves. And that is what they're trusting in. As adults, we make it so much harder because we have to earn it. We have to do, it's, it's got to be, you know what it breaks down to? It has to be about us. It has to be about us. But God said, it's not about you. He said, you're saved by grace through faith. So powerful is God's love towards you. Such a great desire. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 20 and 21 say, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. I mean, let's, let's think about it. Let's, let's be logical about this, right? Jesus came down and died. And he spent three years ministering, actively ministering, healing people. I mean, come on. Would this not have been an amazing time to be alive, following Jesus? I mean, you see blind people all of a sudden seeing Jesus, Jesus spit in the ground and he, he, made, he made some mud out of some spit and dirt and rubbed it on this dude's eyes. And the guy can see after that. He touched his fingers in somebody's ears and the cat could hear after that. A woman had died for crying out. She was dead. And he placed his hand on her and rose her from the dead. Lepers, I mean, leprosy was a death sentence in those days. Lepers had to stay outside the city, right? They had no business being, they were, and everywhere they went in those days, lepers had to call out, unclean, unclean, because just a touch of their skin could give you leprosy. Yeah, Jesus, man, he went to the lepers and he touched them. He touched them and he healed them. And they were clean. 
What an awesome time to be alive following the, the, the live, active ministry of Jesus. But then the, 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 the most important reason he came happened, and he died on the cross. And that could be explained away because the Romans didn't take rebellion too easily, right? They, they came down on rebellion very harshly. But Jesus told everybody, told all his followers, I'm going to die, but in three days I'll rise again. He used the illustration of the temple. And he said, you tear this temple down, and in three days, it'll be built back up. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And there were so many eyewitnesses. People would say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, that's up to you, man. There's eyewitnesses to the account. Oh, that's in the Bible. Exactly. Exactly, it's in the Bible. If... If our salvation depended on us, follow me on this. If our salvation had anything to do with how good I could be, why did God go through all that trouble? Why did he put on that production? Because that's what it boils down to, right? If we can save ourselves, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus, why did he have to be brutally murdered? And then why the resurrection from the dead? If, if we had anything to do about it, it's just not logical. The reason is Jesus' death was the payment for our sins. The Bible says one sacrifice for sin forever. And him rising from the grave, well, that was proof of God's power. That was proof that we, too, would rise. Many people look at all this and say, so what? So what? We live in an area of the country that is called post-Christian. Mentioned it all, a, lot, a lot here because we need to understand uh, the Springfield-Holyoke metropolitan area is the third least evangelized metropolitan area in the country. We're third behind Las Vegas and San Francisco. Okay? Third least evangelized metro area in the country. We are truly an area that is post-Christian. And many people say, so what? So what? Big deal. That's your religion. That's your belief. Have yours... Leave mine alone. I was at, I was at um, um, Panera on Friday. There's a group of old guy, o- older gentlemen. Uh, I get, wow. <sighs> they say I can be an honorary member because I've had several medical procedures now. Okay? Um, and I, I was, when I had my foot uh, done, I would go there, Aaron would drop me off, and I'd go around on my scooter. And it was always one old lady who said, there's a speed limit in here. <laughs> um, but I got to talk with these guys a lot. And they were having a conversation. And I was in, uh, finishing up my sermon on Friday. And, and I heard one guy talking. And he was very boisterous and very loud. And he says, I'm an atheist. Oh. And I, you know, because somebody said happy Easter to him. He says, I'm an atheist. And he's going, he would, he's, he's, that, he's that guy in the group that when he speaks, he takes over. Right? And nobody wanted to offend him. 
Nobody wanted to say anything, and I'm not going to go up and start an argument. But I had to go up and get a coffee. That was my ruse. And I just walked over to him, and I patted him on the shoulder, and I said, hey, man, I'm John Chase. I'm a pastor here in town, and I'd love to talk to you about that sometime. And uh, everybody was like, oh, my God. And we were able to have a little bit of a conversation about that. But that is so common today. Many of you have people in your life just like that, maybe in your family. If you'll say, well, what's the big deal? So what? So what? That's what you believe. Look at all the faiths. All roads lead to heaven, right? But no, they don't. They really don't. So what does it matter? One of the things that separates the Christian faith from all other faiths is that we, have a, we claim to have a Savior who died for our sins to give us eternal life. But what exactly did Jesus' death save us from? Because that's what a lot of people ask. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're saying, so what? So what? What's the big deal? What does it save me from? Very quickly, I want to give you those three, three things that, I, that, that are very important that it saves us from. The first one is this. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, or Easter, we'll just refer to it as Easter from now on. How's that? Easter, Easter saves us from eternal punishment. Easter saves us from eternal punishment. Book of Revelation, uh, chapter 20. I'm going to look at verse 11 and then verse 15. And this is a revelation that was given to John the Apostle uh, of future events. This is something that's going to happen in the future. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. That's Jesus. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. In other words, John saw Jesus sitting on a great white throne in heaven. And everyone that's ever been born that does not claim Jesus as Savior, the Bible says, has to appear before that throne, that judgment seat. <clears throat> People say, well, it's judgment day. It has nothing to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger and lots of weapons. It has to do with exactly what the Bible is talking about here, the great white throne judgment. And the Bible said people tried to run away. People tried to flee, but they couldn't. There was no place to hide. You had to be here. You have to be here. Okay? It says, they opened books. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And verse 15 says, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, which is another name for hell. What do we get from that? There is eternal punishment for your sins. Hell is real. Hell is a real place. Now, you may not like that. That may offend your delicate sensibilities, and I understand that. Nobody likes to think about that. And people misconstrue it. And they say, well, God, is a, God is not that mean. Listen, hell was not created for human beings. Okay? Let's, let's get theological about it for just a second. Hell was not created for human beings. Hell was created for Satan and his angels, the ones that rebelled against God. It was the punishment for their sin. Humanity just fell into the trap of sin. And since the punishment had already been laid, God had to do something to, to make a way for human beings to escape hell. And he did. Because of that sin, we're all sinners. But we have an opportunity to escape that. So Jesus died to save us 
from eternal punishment. Listen, the Bible says clearly, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, hell is your eternal destination. I, have, I take no joy in telling people that, except for this. You need to understand that. You need to be fully informed when you make a decision about Jesus. The second thing that Easter saves us from is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? Jesus is saying, there's going to come a day. Maybe it's on this day. Maybe it's on the day we just talked about at the great white throne where people are going to come to before Jesus. Hey, listen, I was a good person. I did everything. I followed the Ten Commandments. I never murdered anybody. That's always the standard, right? I didn't murder anybody. I didn't rob a bank. I tried, I, listen, I tried to do the best I could. But what does the Bible say Jesus says to people? And this, this is what he says to people who are trusting in their good works to get to heaven. If you are trusting your good works to get you to heaven, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Man, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's true. But it's so true. If you're trusting anything other than Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, the Bible says on that day, when you stand before Jesus Christ, looking for entrance into heaven, if you're simply trusting in your own good works, it's not going to be enough. Even though you may not believe in God, he believes in you. His son Jesus died for you and is in heaven right now preparing an eternal home for all of us who put our trust in him. But even today, many people say, you know, you say, you talk about hell, nobody wants to believe in it. And even people that, that when you say, say something about hell, all oh, my friends are going to go there. And we're just going to have a big party. Ah, I'm not going to take the time to tell you what hell really is about, according to the Bible. Um, but it's not a party. Okay? So then you say eternal separation from God, and for some of us, that would be a big deal. But especially in today's society, especially where we live, you know what people say? So what? Eternal separation from God, one I don't believe in? What's the big deal? That's all right, I've lived my entire life without him. Why do I need him for eternity? I get that. I get the reasoning. I don't understand the logic behind it. So that brings me to the third thing that Easter saves us from. And this, I think, is very applicable to our society, very apropos for our society today. Easter separate, saves us from eternal sadness and hopelessness. Eternal sadness and hopelessness. On our own, there is no eternal hope. Psalm 142, verse 4 reads, look to the right and see there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. What a deep sense of 
desperation and loneliness. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. In other words, if we're doing what we're doing to earn our salvation in this life, then we're to be pitied because there's no value in it at all. When everyone else is looking for someone to blame, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all you are, who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to. He wants to help you out with your depression. He wants to help you out with your desperation. He wants to help you out with your loneliness. He wants to help you out with the heavy burdens that you carry. And he says, if you'll just bring them to me, and I'll give you rest. I'll help you carry those burdens. Some of you listen, man. I know the past haunts you. Things you did or things that were done to you. Things that you had to endure. Jesus says, if you bring that to me, first of all, the past that you lived, I'll wipe that away in my economy. You'll still, you'll still have to go through overcoming it, but it'll be taken care of. The guilt and the shame that you feel, bring it to me. I'll let you know how much I love you. And even though in your life nobody ever believed in you, nobody ever loved you, nobody ever said they're proud of you, nobody ever wanted you or cared about you, Jesus says, you bring all that heaviness to me, and I'll show you that I love you. I'll show you how much I care about you. And you know what? You know how he does that sometimes? He puts you into a congregation of people like this who love you and will show you value and show you that you have worth and you have something to offer. In God's presence for all eternity, there is no sadness and there is eternal hope. This life may be a life of desperation, but there is an end in sight if you trust Jesus as your Savior. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Not only does Jesus offer you salvation from eternal punishment, not only does Jesus offer you salvation from eternal separation from God. But I think one of the most powerful things that is applicable, applicable for us today is Jesus offers you eternal overcoming of sadness and hopelessness. He gives you hope. He gives you a reason to live. Let me break it down for you very simply and easily as we close this message out. Recap what we've talked about. The Bible says very clearly that we're all sinners. Listen, we can, we can debate, we can divide, we can do all the kinds of things, but the fact of the matter is every one of us in our life has done something that's wrong. And it doesn't matter if it's the, the most egregious error that could ever be made or if it's a very simple thing as a child. The Bible says sin is sin. And sin is what separates us from God. We've all sinned. 
It's just a fact of life. And because we have sinned, the Bible says there is a payment or a penalty on that sin. And that sin, the payment and penalty for that sin is death. But the Bible says that God is a God of love, not a God of vengeance, not a God of anger, not a God of hate. He's a God of love. In fact, love emanates from God because God is love. He is the very essence and source of love. And the Bible says God loved you and me enough. In fact, it says he loves you enough. If you were the only sinner ever to be born in this world, God loves you enough to ask his son Jesus to come down to earth and die for your sins. A cruel, horrible death. And Jesus did. And God said, I will accept that payment, the payment of a perfect, sinless lamb. I will accept that payment for the payment of all sins, for all humanity, forever. When Jesus said, it is finished, what he was saying is not that he was, uh, that he was, he was dead. He was saying, the plan of salvation is done. It is finished. It's finished. In fact, when Jesus died, the Bible says the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple split from top to bottom so that we no longer have to go to someone else to get to God. We have direct access. Why, should we ha- why do we need direct access? Because Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you by you accepting him as your personal savior. So we're all sinners. There's a penalty for our sin. Jesus died to pay the price. Well, that's awesome, right? Price is paid. We're all good to go. Not so fast. Not so fast. Because there are those who will tell you that, that everyone's going to get to heaven because Jesus died. Not so fast. There is something you need to do. There's something you need to do. This is a big day in our house, right? Baptizing our, our two youngest sons. And we wanted to, to remember, remember that. We wanted to celebrate, make it a big day. And as is typical in our house, we overdid it. Went way too far. But it's okay. Because even dads can play on an Xbox. <laughs> right? Right? We bought Gabriel and Michael an Xbox for baptism, for, for, to celebrate their baptism. And some games. Now, this is a true story. Michael and Gabriel came down yesterday morning. And I had them in, in gift bags because I am lazy. And I do not wrap presents. Right? Actually, I think Walmart makes great wrapping paper. And it's convenient because they put everything right inside it for you. All you have to do is wrap it, slap some tape on it, done. It's a bag, by the way, if you didn't catch that. <laughs> right? But I had gift bags. And we had, the, we had the presents in the gift bags and sitting on the table. Right? Now, Michael and Gabriel really surprised me. They come down and they see the bags on the table. And they're like, who are those for, Dad? Who are those for? They get a big smile on their face. And I said, they're for you guys. No lie. Jimmy, I'm telling you the truth, man. They looked at me and looked at the bags and looked at me and looked at the bags. And they said, 
Well, what's in it? <clears throat> Clearly, we haven't got the concept of, of open. And the point is this. They didn't touch the bags. Now, I had gone out. My wife and I talked about it. We had made the plan. And I had gone and bought everything. And we, we had gone and picked everything up. And I had taken all that time to meticulously make sure that they were wrapped and hidden like presents should be. Right? And they were intended for Gabriel and Michael. It was their gift. It's all for them. Got them an extra controller, right? Got them a Minecraft and something else, Batman Lego or Lego Batman. I don't know what it is. Of course, there's a Call of Duty World War II in there. I'm not sure what that's all about. But, but, but that, I might have to learn how to play it so I can teach them when they're old enough. <laughs> but all of those three bags were for them. They were bought for them. They were thought about, planned out, all for them. Put in bags and set right there for them. But those gifts did not become theirs until they took them, until they took possession of them, until they took ownership of them. Once they did, boy, look out, okay? It's like prying, you know, you can have my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. You can have my controller when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> but if those bags would have sat there and that Xbox and those, those games and that controller stayed in those bags, then they would not have become the possession of Gabriel and Michael Chase. They would have just been gifts intended for them sitting in bags. What's my point? Man, you're a sinner. The price of your sin is death. Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life. Two things very interesting about a gift. One is it has to be given. The second one is that it has to be received. Your gift of eternal life has been paid for and is waiting for you. It's got your name on it. It's ready and waiting, but it's not yours until you reach out and take possession of it. Paul tells us in Romans 10 verse 9, for if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whoever, 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 you could put your name in there. I'll use mine. For if John Chase calls on the name of the Lord, John Chase will be saved. You could put your name in there. Amen. For if whoever calls on the name of the Lord they will be saved. No maybe, no hope so, no might be. Definitely, you will be saved. The gift of eternal life will become yours. My friends, that's what Easter is all about. That's what Easter is all about. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? <laughs> While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen, I know gone a little long this morning. I'm so thankful for your indulgence. It's been a great day here and, and uh, really isn't too long when we're celebrating such a day as this. 
we talked about some pretty heavy stuff. For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, it was a day of victory, a day of talking about victory and remembering why we've accepted Christ and, and reminding ourselves of what our salvation is all about and what waits for us in eternity. But maybe you're here this morning and what I've said to you is either new to you or you've never heard it put that way or you've heard it and you've never really done anything about it. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, nobody's looking around, just you, me, and God. I wonder if you would say to me by raising your hand this morning, Pastor John, I heard what you had to say. And honestly, today, I cannot say that I know Jesus as my Savior. I've never accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Is there anybody with nobody else looking around that would raise their hand and say, that's me, I've never accepted Jesus as my personal Savior? Anybody? Well, listen, folks. If that is you, the Bible says clearly that if you just pray and ask Jesus to receive his gift of eternal life, then eternal life will be given to you. No questions asked, no ifs, ands, or buts. A simple prayer, something such as, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't do anything to get myself to heaven. I ask you to come into my heart and save me. I receive your gift of eternal salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. A simple prayer like that is all it takes. And I know that seems too simple for us as adults, as, as human beings many times. That's what the Bible has to say. Listen, if you have questions, if you want to talk to me, I'm here. Thank you so much for being here. Let's close our service in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the victory we've seen today, for the baptisms. Lord, it's so exciting. We have more to come with the Nepali service later on today, God, and we're so excited to celebrate uh, new life in you, celebrating what you did for us. God, I pray that each one of us will not be the same after this Easter, that it will make a difference in our hearts and lives. Bless us as we go from this place, God. May we remember what you did for us through your son, and may we live remembering that, doing our best to share our faith in an effective way. In your name we pray.